Welcome to Mistresses of Murder. I'm Cindy. And I'm Cheyenne. And we're going to tell you a scripted, this is a scripted episode, and this is missing. This is a missing child, but it's been a really long time. And it is a trigger warning. There is descriptions of child endangerment, um, child sexual abuse, and unchecked mental illness. So I want to put that out there ahead of time, but... Um, moving forward, this is Shannon Marie Sherrill. What can be more innocent than a child playing hide-and-seek during an autumn afternoon? This is exactly what little Shannon Marie Sherrill was doing October 5, 1986. She, along with ten other children from the trailer park where she lived, were playing a game of hide-and-seek outside when Shannon scuttered behind a trailer, only never to be seen again. Described by some as being an extremely shy child, Shannon was only six years old and attending kindergarten at Thorntown Elementary School when she disappeared from the Douglas trailer park where she lived. Shannon's mother, Dorothy Sherrill, was fixing lunch and had her attention occupied for five to ten minutes before turning her gaze back to the children playing outside, and it became apparent that Sharon, Shannon was missing. Thorntown's a small town. Right, and this happened when I was pregnant with Jake, or he was just a baby, and it was only 10, 15 minutes down the road, um, and this has been forever. I mean, I, I hear it every year. Um, right away, folks set out looking for her, and her mother alerted authorities in a mere 20 minutes after panic had set in. No one, it appeared, had seen Shannon leaving the yard. As one playmate recalled, one minute she was there, and the next she was gone. Soon, over 200 police and local volunteers would join in on a search for Shannon. A highly trained bloodhound named Columbo was brought in for the search, and he picked up her scent all the way to a nearby cornfield and cemetery located 600 yards away. However, Shannon's trail simply vanished. So, I think maybe put in a car yeah. or something. Columbo. Yeah. At the time, the trail appeared to be zigzagging, which suggested to authorities that Shannon was most likely lost. In a newspaper article published in the Journal and Courier, that is our local newspaper, <laughs> the day after her disappearance, authorities were still stating publicly that no foul play was involved. Interestingly, the dog handler named Danny White indicated that if Shannon had experienced a panicked emotion, the tracking dog would have signaled this and howled, as her scent trace would have been different. Of course, we now know that this method of tracking is not infallible, but this initial bout of hope informed the er informed the earlier tune of the search, so they just thought maybe she got lost. Yeah. Their tune would change pretty quick, however. As there were no sign of Shannon anywhere. What's more, Shannon's father, Mark Sherrill, stated that his daughter was afraid of the dark and that it would be unlike her to wander far without informing her parents first. Shannon was reported as wearing a blue sundress trimmed in white when she disappeared. She was also barefoot, no socks, no shoes, as it was unseasonably warm that day. However, that night, the temperature dipped into the 40s. Knowing this, search efforts persisted into the night. Danny White recalled instructing fellow searchers to dim their flashlights if they thought that they had chanced upon Shannon as lost children sometimes fear that they are in trouble when crowded by adults in positions of power. Yeah. What a haunting thought. 
At the time of her disappearance, and I had somebody say, she was barefoot? I was barefoot. I'm barefoot today. I mean, I do grab barefoot all the time. At the time of her disappearance, Shannon's parents were divorced, and she lived in a trailer park on the 600 block of Plum Street in Thorntown, Boone County, Indiana, with her mother and her younger brother. Shannon's father lived in nearby Tipton, Indiana, which is roughly a 45-minute drive away. This is important to note because media representations of Shannon's parents were very typical at the time. There was a noticeable inference that Shannon's coming from a broken family was typical of the ill-informed reporting born in the 80s. What's more, it appears Shannon's mother, Dorothy, received a brunt of judgment from both law enforcement and the public alike. You know, trailer trash, blah, blah, blah. I lived in a trailer, kiss my ass, but yeah. In later interviews, she would recall that she was either labeled too emotional or not emotional enough. Regardless, both of Shannon's parents were pretty quickly cleared as suspects in her disappearance as they both passed polygraphs because they didn't steal their daughter. Yeah. And I know they have to investigate him, but sometimes it's just mean. And they brutalize this woman for years. They really give her no peace. Many other people were interviewed. Shannon's playmates were questioned. The only one witnessed reporting something of note, that there was a certain unusual car spotted at the trailer park that day. This fact has not been collaborated publicly by law enforcement, and source material is scattered regarding its validity. It is stated that some sources, that some parents did not allow their children to be hypnotized, which was the method that sometimes used in investigations to pull subconscious or repressed memories from witnesses. That was still really popular in the 80s. It's not now. (laughs) Shannon's father believes that his daughter is still alive. In a 2013 interview at the Indy Star, Mark said, she's out there somewhere. I think about it every day. Not a day goes by that I don't. I hope that someday we'll find her. I'm hoping that someday I'll get a call saying they found her. She's still my little girl. Wouldn't it be crazy if this was one of those stories where, where they found they her? Find her when she's like 40? Right. <laughs> well, it gets dicey here. Mark's hope is understandable. What parent would not cling to even after all these years given so little has been pieced together about Shannon's whereabouts that day? It is also perhaps with this in mind that the next part will sting even more. In July 2003, 2003, 17 years after Shannon first went missing, a woman contacted the Cheryl family claiming that they're long lost to be their long lost daughter. I hate that. A woman even went as far as sending Mark pictures of herself at 12 and 19 years old claiming to be Shannon. She also engaged in several phone calls with him, detailed parts of her life, and fostering a sense of connection. Mark was so elated that he found out that Shannon was finally found. He remembers saying out loud, when is she coming home? When is she coming home? What you do, Google her? Jeez. His joy would be short-lived, however. The authorities quickly identified the woman not as Shannon Marie Cheryl of Thorntown, but Donna L. Walker of Kansas. Donna, it was said, had perpetuated the hoax with the belief that she was helping and later informed that she was battling severe mental illness issues and had had been a full-blown con artist with as many as 30 different identities in her personal rooster roast roster as she unfolded the scheme walker even reached out to law enforcement and the media as well in order to bolster the heat surrounding the story of little shannon marie cheryl had finally been found this woman is mentally ill, but she's trash. Yeah, that's I mean, not. it's just a horrible thing. I seen. I remember when that happened, and the dad was on TV, and he was just so confused by it all. Like, 
it has to be treated because who would do that yeah. you know because that's crazy and you're ruining people's lives donna walker was by no means a stranger to the law she had racked up quite a few run-ins for stints ranging from credit card fraud to calling in bomb threats <laughs> after a brief stint on the lamb walker turned herself in at the end of july 2003 she was ultimately convicted in april 2004 and sentenced to 18 months in prison for attempted identity deception and false reporting at the time, she was also ordered to undergo mandatory state-sanctioned mental health treatment. You think? Yeah, she should. A paltry <laughs> price to pay for inflicting such damage on an already grief-stricken family. Yeah, because that's every day. It's no wonder that following this, Mark Sherrill has once again steeped into the throes of renewed grief. To mourn after the initial loss of one thing and to mourn after a new hope is manufactured as another entirely. However, both Shannon's parents expressed at the time that the media attention garnered by the hoax would at least generate some new in interest in their plight. As for Shannon's mother, Dorothy Sherrill also accepted a sit-down interview later in life. Hers was on October 2010 with a reporter from the Lebanon Reporter, also a very local paper. Dorothy's grievances, although, were many. They were centered around the police and their apparent inaction. She felt more or less that they had truly bungled the investigation from jump and continued to do so. She said that the police at the time had no real training about dealing with missing children. I think that's true. Um, what's more, she felt like the police had painted her out as a neglectful parent from the get-go, like her daughter's disappearance was somehow her fault, ultimately adding insult to injury. In the article, Dorothy claims that the police forced her to stay silent for years in the name of the investigation, you know, like, oh, don't say anything because we're investigating. Yeah. Because of this, she was unable to defend herself publicly and had no had to live with the shame of being labeled as a bad mother without having the freedom to fight back on those claims. And that's true, and they did do that. And it's kind of a messy situation, but is there, so is there anyone else that the police had in mind for the crime? Yeah, actually, in 2009, authorities hinted at a possible break in the case. A convicted child predator by the name of David Elliott Penton had been considered as a possible suspect. Penton was convicted child rapist and serial killer who was imprisoned in Ohio in 1987, and he was often dubbed as the real-life boogeyman in the media. A lesser-known heavy hitter of the crime world, Penton, is the stuff of nightmares. He was convicted for the murder of three girls in Texas, Christy Proctor, Christy Meeks, and Roxanne Reyes. He was also convicted of infanticide for the violent shaking death of his two-month-old son, Michael James Penton. Pitt was apparently confessed to fellow inmates of killing no less than 50 children. However, he had also stated in a sit-down interview with the Tyler Courier Times, which is in Tyler, Texas, that um, reporter Kenneth Dean that his convictions were a result of FBI plot to clear unresolved child murders across, across the country. Now, I don't think there's a plot, but I do think sometimes murders and police try to put more things so they can clean them up. Yeah, for sure. That's right. He maintained his convictions were set up, copying to the extent of involvement with children in a sexual way as being limited to dalliances with po possible underage prostitutes. No, they had him solid on the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, during the time serving in the Korean War, it should be noted here, it was common for perpetrators of crimes against children to minimize their actions when it involves the abuse of children and because of retaliation amongst the prisoners. Right on. I feel like that might have also been... Another thing that kept her mom from...
talking really too much when the cops told her not to because she would, she probably thought like if I do what they tell me not to do they won't try as hard. Right. For his part, Pinton was convicted of abducting, sexually assaulting, and strangling his victims, all children. Pinton, regardless of his involvement in Shannon's case, is a real-life monster. Kenneth Dean, in his article, describes him as such. And I quote, He seemed intelligent, elusive, and somewhat proud of his notoriety. He also contradicted himself numerous times. Pinton's mood changed so quickly that changes were sometimes unnerving to watch. And he answered some questions that clearly bothered him. He would become red-faced with anger, and he moved his hands rapidly. His eyes would tear up, and finally he would sneer or laugh in my direction. The changes often occurred within a one-minute period. But he's given an interview, and he knows when he goes back and pop, things could happen to him. Um... Pinton also got on the police's radar because of a former jailhouse cellmate, Jeffrey Senecalb, penned a letter addressed to the Thorntown Police in 26. And this is dumb because there's only a Thorntown town marshal, so I don't know why they keep saying Thorntown Police. There ain't 3,000 people. Hell, there ain't 2,000 people in that town. It'd be the Boone County Sheriff's Department. I don't even remember seeing a police station. There is just a town marshal (laughs) in that town, and he just pulls over speeders on their way to Turkey Run, usually. Senecalb was Pinton's cellmate for five years and another source claims that it was a private investigator hired by the Sherrills, a man named Mark Harper that unearthed the connection. The letter was significant because in it, Sonny Cobb describes Penton's vehicle at the time and the vehicle matches the description of the car that was supposedly spotted by the witness in the mobile home park. Now, I should mention that this information is a little tenuous because some of the sources confirm this fact and others state there's no suspicious vehicles were placed at the scene. Regardless, Penton was known to use his vehicle to abduct victims. Since the bloodhounds tracking Shannon lost her scent quite suddenly, it is not unreasonable to surprise she may surmise she may have been grabbed and put in a car, which is yeah. what I figured. Yeah. And there's more. Some online sources claim that private investigator hired by the Sherrills tracked down various former cellmates of Penton's, many who had recounted how Penton described in vivid detail how he abducted, raped, and killed the little shoeless girl from the trailer park in Indiana. In a news article written in Indiana's NBC affiliate WTHR, it is stated that Mark Harper even learned that Shannon's body was located during the investigation, but ultimately told by Indiana State Police not to interfere with the investigation. It should be noted that these claims have been echoed anywhere, have not been echoed anywhere else, although WTHR is an official news source serving Indianapolis and central Indiana. That story has a lot of twists and turns. Yep. Anyway, the police were made aware and they did not act quickly on the confection by proxy. But by the time they were ready to, Penton was no longer talking. As the information was leaked to the media, the child murders are often at the losing end of the so-called prison justice. As we discussed earlier, Penton also refused that Sonny, what Sonny Holcob, Sonny Cobb alleges, stating his ultimate goal was simply to shave some years off his prison sentence. However, the Charlie Project, an online database of missing people related cold cases, states that Sonny Cobb is known for giving reliable information to the police. So, he wasn't a guy who ran around telling stories. For Dorothy, 
This is a clear case of too little too late and no one else to blame but police but the police. Interestingly, Dorothy framed her sit-down interview as an opportunity to finally say things publicly that were related to the case. One of the more salatant passages that came out in the interview from her inference that Shannon more than likely was alive for three days after a serial pedophile kidnapped her from Thorntown and drove her to Texas where he would do what he would do. This is very a very specific assertion and it is not clear in my source material whether, it was, whether or not Dorothy obtained this information from law enforcement or more along the lines of her personal theories. Some have interpreted the passage as some sort of stream of consciousness on her part, something along the lines of her thinking out loud. The theories about what happened to Shannon range from commonly accepted to truly outlandish. As we touched upon earlier, temperatures did drop significantly the night she went missing. Some locals have suggested that if she got lost in the extensive cornfield, perhaps she succumbed to the element and died of exposure. It is not unreasonable to assume that her remains would have been scattered by animals or rapidly deteriorated on oncoming winter weather. I don't believe that. Did they search the corn? I don't believe that. I'm from here. When you cut that corn, you would have hit it. If the corn was up when she, you would have hit it. It it just, no, I don't believe that. And every farmer would have been looking. And there's a smell associated. Yeah, they would have scattered some bones, but we don't have bears anymore. No, we don't have anything crazy like that. No. If, say, Shannon was lost and vulnerable, it would be outside of the realm to possibly assume someone may have taken her. Sometimes offenders will act on situations that beget crimes of opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. If a disoriented child that is far from home could easily fit that bill. Another theory that's been floated around is that Shannon got stuck in a crawl space or fell into a well while playing hide-and-seek and that her body has simply never been found. I don't believe that either. There are wells. I've seen wells out in the middle of nowhere, but they would have been looking for all of that. Every (laughs) farmer, every landowner, nobody's going to go, well, we got those three wells, Mall, but I'm sure it's fine. You know, I just don't. fall into one of those. (laughs) Right. One of the more damaging and outlandish theories is that that has perversely remained alive through the years and as Shannon is willingly sold off in exchange for drugs. This destructive rumor has been proven baseless so far. However, it is it should be mentioned that familial trafficking is a real phenomenon. According to the U.S. Department of State, familial trafficking is a complex occurrence that statistics as of 2017 placed 41% of child trafficking experiences as facilitated by family and caregivers. Mm-hmm. But that mom... Does that mom just, have drug charges? No, it was kind of made up. I remember it was made up. <laughs> Some law, yeah, it's not realistic. Some law enforcement officials have put forward the theory as well that since Shannon was quite petite for her age, three foot tall and 30 pounds, her unidentified remains may have already been found, but she was not cross-referenced against them correctly due to the fact that her body's proportions did not fall with the appropriate age bracket. If you know that, then why wouldn't you go back and look? Exactly. DNA's a real fucking thing. Because you would think you would, you would give that information. Like, DNA's hey, a real fucking thing. You just go back <laughs> and find it. Some online sources have alleged that the summer that Shannon disappeared, some teenage boys had been molesting some young girls in the area. These girls had reportedly friends with Shannon and her age. This information comes from an online message board and should be taking, taken as alleged until any shred of proof comes to light. Correct. Yeah. 
Lyle Willa that another aspect of this, Shannon's father does mention in a tribute article by Mike Fletcher that the weekend before Shannon went missing, he was driving her back to her mother's house when Shannon had a fit and begged him not to go back there. What's more, she would not share with him what the source of her fear was. It is by no means an accusation, simply something to think about in a case like this when theories abound in absence of concrete answers. However, I will say this as well. Often communities do hold answers that can help solve crimes. As the old adage goes, someone knows something. Did the mom have, like, boyfriends and stuff? I don't think like that. I mean, not like a bunch. I mean, I don't want to say it was the mom. No, no, fault, but no. Like, it's been reported that Shanna's dad never missed a single day of work, hoping that his daughter would walk into the gas station that he owned. For her part, Shanna's mother reportedly kept the same phone number in case her daughter needed to call her. Officials consider Shannon's case a non-familia abduction, and it has been picked up by the Indiana State Police Cold Case Unit, that's a joke, and remains as active, albeit unsolved, to this day. So, yeah, the Indiana State Police should have picked it up at the beginning, we had a small town. Not 30 years later. <laughs> town, a town marshal. I mean, come on. You had oh. 200 volunteers trampsing through everything. And then you had the Boone County Sheriff's Department, which Boone County is, is small as Frankfurt, if not smaller at the time. Yeah. So the Indiana police to pick it up now, what are they picking up? <laughs> I don't even know what that's about. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not so sure that this guy didn't kill her, but I mean... It, it, if he told a, a private investigator where the body is, you know, fuck the police. Go find the body. If he told you, go look for it. Yeah. Who cares what they say? I, I mean, at this point, the horse is out of the barn. Let's go find it. Yeah. And then if the cops are like, well, how do you know where the body was? I'm like, this I thought we already told you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and listen. <laughs> and if Sonny Cobb is good for information and he's not been a liar, he's not a jailhouse snitch in that way, yeah. then it kind of hurts my feelings to think that maybe that guy did do it. The little shoeless girl from the trailer park. Um, I remember when this happened, Jake was a baby, and we lived in Frankfurt, which is 20 minutes from there. And I remember thinking, Jesus, cry me, because Travis was her age. Oh, my God, people are stealing kids out of yards, you know. Did they find the boys that was molesting little girls? They, that's just alleged on a message board. Nobody even knows Nobody what like that's about. Uh-uh. Well, not deep enough that they could confirm or deny. I mean, if that was real, then, I mean, talk to the boys. <laughs> right. But then, again, if they're boys, where's the body? Because yeah. I don't believe that she got lost, and no. she's laying dead in a cornfield, mm-hmm. and, and animals have, you know, the dragons in Frankfurt, you know, in Clinton County and Boone County dragging her away. I mean, we have coyotes and shit, but like 30 pounds? Yeah. This is October. If the corn was up, then they had to cut the corn. They were getting ready to cut it right then. You would have found her body. Yeah. Wells and things like that, I would hope... If it's local, everybody would have been looking. Yeah. I don't believe that she got lost. Well, I believe she was like taken. The town people, everyone would know everybody. Kind they of. do know everybody. They do. They absolutely do. Yeah, I just it doesn't play right with me. I think that I think that it might be that Penton, which is terrible. I've seen her dad on TV. He's such a sweet man, and although her mother's bitter. 
I've seen her mom. And I remember when that drug rumor ran around because everybody liked to say it. I remember Aunt Patty saying, well, I heard that she owed drug money. She lived in a trailer park in Thorntown. She ain't some big-time bitch owing money everywhere. I, I just think it's easier to say that. And as a person who lived in a trailer, I think it's easy to get put in that box and I say, oh, they're trailer people. Oh, okay. When I missing kids, I feel like everybody always wants to blame the parent. Of course. And sometimes it is the parent. Yeah. But you got to move past that. Because even if she does just let her kid run around wherever she wants to go, she... She, she didn't feral. want her to get kidnapped. No, so she had a feral kid, but I mean, you're in a small community in a trailer park where you know everybody. I My kids yeah. ran, too. I, I mean, it wasn't a dangerous place. It's pretty low key, and as far as the dad saying that, you know, the daughter threw a fit, maybe she just didn't want to come home. Maybe daddy was cool because he owned a gas station. He bought her whatever she wanted yeah. and took her out to eat, and, and maybe she liked that. And maybe, you know, I mean, she's six. I like that, too, you know? Maybe she wanted to stay longer. Yeah, maybe it wasn't anything but that, and I would believe that was probably the case. That's what happens when parents get divorced. You got the hero who doesn't have to do any of the dirt work, but gets to give all the good stuff, and then you have the everyday person. I just think that's how it is. But anyway, that one I've been threatening to do forever. It was driving me crazy. Um, It's one of my favorite missing persons. If there's such a thing as a favorite, I just think it's sad, and I wish they'd find something. And somebody knows something. It's a little town. And I think it's messy, just like the Delphi murders. You know, too many people trucking around, running their mouths. Just a mess. It's a mess. I'm still holding out for that Colfax lady that worked at the Holland Center. Brandy Wilson. Yeah. yeah, there's not a lot of information on her, but we may do a small one. But, yeah, her loser ex-husband. He even got in trouble for killing dogs. He's yeah. a piece of shit. Um, so many missing people. Yeah. Sad. But, anyway, Shanna Marie Cheryl. It's a sad story. But it is one that's haunted me forever. So, same thing I tell you every day. Check out Buy Me a Coffee backslash Mistress Cindy. Buy us a coffee. Try to keep things moving for us. Visit us on www.mistressesofmurder.com. Um, come be our friend. Email us at Midwest Mistresses of Murder. We're here. Give us case suggestions. Tell us what you think. Tell us which ones you prefer. Um, and until we see you again, we'll catch you on the flip side.